Welcome to episode 628 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right here, team, welcome along to episode 628 of I Am Talk with Coach John Yes and Bevan James Oles. How you going, mate? Pretty good. Glad I made it. Nearly nearly popped in on your uh, your old house owners at the or your Oh, I've done that place. a couple of times. Did you drive down to Hackfield, did you? Went down to the house and went, whoops. I've done it, I've done it a few times up. myself. It, now, for those, it's an easy thing to do because basically the turn off to go to my old place is... 100 meters lower maybe mm-hmm. 200 meters lower than yeah. than a turn off to my new place so it, you're not a fool if you're on autopilot easy to do and i'm gonna say i'm not i have to say that because i've done it a few times myself so okay. you're not a fool you're a wise <laughs> man you're just a wise man i'm talking is proudly brought to you by extreme endurance your lactic buffer and our patrons and let's name a few jumbo mark the gardener egan we've got sam the wild one wills and i'm pretty sure he bought a new car the other day walls walls yeah yep, yep. Did he? nice yep. the wild car yeah, the wild one. A wild car for the wild one, yes. And Thomas is going long. Oh, back it up, and that's what he says to back it up. Let's not even go there. Uh, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. We have an age group of the week. We may have an interview. Should do. We're going to have an interview. having a chat to Ryan Bolton. Who's uh, he, John? So some of you will have heard of him. He was a very good athlete in his day. Went to the 2000 Olympics. Uh, is now um, a running coach as well as a triathlon coach. And has coached uh, the winner of a uh, previous winner of the Boston Marathon. Uh, Level of athlete as a triathlete. Uh, well, he was made the Olympics. He won... Ironman Lake Placid, uh, and so he was he was very good, um, yep. but a relatively short career. Uh, I'm not sure if he went to Kona. That was going to be one of my questions, but mainly did short course and, yeah, around sort of 2000 period. Uh, we've got Wanger of the Week, questions and answers, and that's pretty much today's show. John, John and I both sound a bit crusty today, mate. You all right there? I'm, go- I'm go- good, Bevan. You, you can survive. Ready for a strong okay. show. We, we, we've, we've done, I've got the new setup. Yes. So I've got, we're still a little bit distant away from each other. I do feel a slight separation in this relationship, but I've got mic stands. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, once you're in, you're in. And I think you've screwed yourself because your water, look how far away your water is. Oh, I can't <laughs> you've reach it. I've got my lumbar support in my back. Last week I was getting sore glutes because yep. I was having to bend over yep. and, and uh, it sounds a bit odd. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and reach over for sore this little, you're bending over. little camping tables and stuff this week. Got the, the, the lean back, got lumbar support, we're good to go. Yeah, it's going to be a good, good day. You just won't be able to get a drink. Okay, uh, this weekend we had quite a few races on, and the first one we're going to talk about is Ironman Switzerland. So this is the last weekend for the first round, uh, first cutoff for the Kona qualification, so lots of uh, athletes, uh, well, no, no, not lots, a number of athletes scrambling for points. So Ironman Switzerland, they had um, a very, very good racing there, a couple of uh, really strong riders. So Cam Wirth was racing again, he rode a 4.14, uh, and David Pleece impressively managed to keep up with him when he came past on the bike. Uh, so, But the overall winner was Jan van Berkel, he swam for 50-25, rode 4.29 and ran a 2.45, fantastic run. It's a great race overall really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, to end up winning reasonably comfortably by about four minutes. You know, Course to, record as well. Yeah, yeah. so it, I looked at a, a tiny bit of the coverage, it looked like a beautiful day. Uh, he went 8.09.15 <clears throat> and he was, yes, yeah, on Torsten's ratings, 15 minutes quicker than expected. David Police also had a great race uh, in second place, 8.13, 12 minutes quicker than expected. And <coughs> Cam Worth, 
after I was saying I was all good, I'm just getting a bit of a frog in my throat. And your water's just over there, mate. <laughs> right. uh, Cam Wirth did his first uh, sub three hour run. He ran 258.58 um, for a close third place. And he held off Mike Phillips, who also needed some points for Kona. So he's locked and loaded. And fourth place, and then Ronnie Schildnick, who's you know the king of Switzerland, uh, only managed fifth place this time. So now he won it nine times, place. didn't he? He's won it a lot. I don't know the number, but yeah. yeah I think he got nine. I don't think he got the tenth, which which is unlikely to happen now. But impressive. It's a Cam Brown, isn't it? It's Ronnie and Cam are the two kind of dominators of one race. Yep. And uh, one person who hasn't really made the transfer across to Iron Distance Racing uh, that I thought perhaps he would is Sven Reeder. Uh, so he was a f- uh, former Olympic bronze medalist and just long-term, consistent performer. He was a remote, wasn't he? He was. He was the one who didn't want to interview us after the tent. Yeah, because he had DNF'd and it looked like he'd had a fall and I just don't think yeah, he fair enough. didn't yeah. really want the... Um, the attention so you know he was there or thereabouts off the bike you know he rode a 429 which was same as mike phillips but then only managed a three-hour marathon so did he leave his run too late uh i don't think he's that it was old. 2004 was the olympics wasn't it yeah but i think he's pretty he was pretty pretty young then okay um, i'm gonna find so out his age you find out his age so he's one guy that hasn't necessarily made that transition that perhaps you might have thought he would. On the female side of racing, Kaiser Sali took the race out. She was actually five minutes slower than predicted, uh, so she went 9.06.01. She swam 57, rode 4.53, and ran a 3.08 to beat Sky Moinch from the States, and she was 9.14. Annabelle Luxford still yet to... She's another one um, on the female side who's, you know, amazing 70.3 athlete, but hasn't quite made that transition across she only ran a 318 uh, to finish in 916 so she basically lost all that 10 minutes uh, behind Kaiser on the run and she's a great runner so just hasn't quite made that transition across one athlete that didn't race that I th- that was on the start list last week was Barbara Rivera so I was wondering how she was going to go on Ironman debut but she did not turn up so no she result very well no, she did not no. do very well. So it's like it was a pretty good race overall for females, but Kaiser just definitely was just a little bit stronger. Yeah, so she's you know, a number of athletes are doing quite a few races. You know, we know that she was Joe in Rote. Skipper. Joe Skipper's just tearing the place up. But Kaiser Starley, she was in Rote. Um, yeah, second. And yeah, third. So, third, sorry. Yeah, so we'll see how she, what sort of shape she's in for Kona. Okay, so the other big race we had over the weekend was uh, Ironman Hamburg, and the big news of the weekend was that the swim was once again cancelled, and there was another 70.3 over the weekend. Was Santa Rosa got Santa Rosa got, got cancelled as well. So it's definitely something we're seeing a lot more of in the modern times. Um, it was algae. Yeah, it's, it's a major issue everywhere around the world. So, mm. um, you know. What's the right, is 6K run the right comparison? What, what, not you not know, really, but I mean, because no. they smacked that six k's. That was well, they did, and they did. They, yeah, they, they, they. It seems on paper they were they, they were going at three twenty four per k pace. That's pretty decent is, when you've got an Ironman in front of you. Bloody fast. Yeah. But then you consider, you know, when they're actually uh, on the the run in terms of doing the Ironman run, most of those guys are probably sitting about four minutes or a little bit under. Yep. And I thought initially that the females maybe they were pacing it a bit better, um, but they were the the females were pacing it at around about four minute k pace, and they're probably running at about 4.20 so they're both around about sort of 20 to 25 seconds quicker per k and that opening um 6k so probably some tactics going on there but yeah it does seem pretty but, but let's go back to the question of what do you feel is the right replacement for because you don't want to do an hour run 
this is better. They've had some much shorter ones than, than that in the past. So, yeah, I'd say 5 to 6K is probably about as far as you can go without ruining people's legs completely for that second run. You know, you probably should put in a 10K, 12K run, but then you've got people running, you know, 50 to 55Ks, well, um, which is pretty tough. Well, what's really mind-blowing is Bart Arnott's went a sub-240 in the marathon. Very impressive. When you consider he did a 19-minute, no, 19-minute 6K, mm. four-hour bike. Mm. That's a great race, isn't it? And it a is. sub-240. Yeah. That's, he, he's... So the bike was a couple of Ks short, so I've done my oh, course Oh, was it? Okay, well, only, only a couple. Okay. So, you know, uh, the, the, I watched a little bit of the coverage, and, not, and, and again, very fleeting couple of glances of the Ironman coverage, and I think they're doing a really good job. They had Rachel Joyce on there commentating a little bit. And how did they do the two races at once? They only did uh, They only did Hamburg. They did not do Switzerland, and they did not do Canada Because I was thinking about this last week. One thing they could do is just do a Facebook page, particularly for a certain race, so they could have a live feed, and then they could just link on their main Facebook page Go to go to this one for this live race. Go to this one. You get what I mean. So there are ways around it. Well, there are, but I think I'm almost thinking they've gone too far in how much the coverage you're doing. I'm not complaining whatsoever. Mate, you, but they can't win with you. No, they can't. It's like for me, I'm probably not going to watch many of these races. I'm more if this, uh, the championship races. If they just said we're going to focus on those, I'd probably tune in and watch. But just for all these other ones. It'd be interesting to know who their market is and how many people are watching. When I went on a couple of times, it, there was three to 4,000 people watching. Um, obviously, this is a German race, so it's very, very popular. So it'll just be, I'm just interested to see how this, um, how this pans out a, as we go forward. But in terms of the delivery they're doing, it's, I think it's pretty good. Joycey was doing some nice commentary on there. So yeah, it, it looked like a beautiful race over there in Hamburg. But so the reason we saw the fast bike splits was they have changed the bike course and it's gone from a kind of up and down course to a very, very flat course. So about 25 to 30 minutes faster than last year for the pros. Uh, and so, yeah, and I did hear Lovato saying on the coverage, he was saying it's a 178-kilometre bike course. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so Bart Arnott's, he rode four hours. So, again, you assume um, a couple of Ks difference there. Even you add that on, that is an extremely fast bike well, ride. Well, then to get off to run a 249, 39. Yeah. But Joe Skipper was much the same. He rode a 401. He was just a little bit down. James Carnamar rode a four hours. Um, Tim Don was right there off the bike with a 401. And as you said, 239, fantastic run. Joe Skipper finished in second place with a two hours 45 run. Uh, James Carnamar, 248. And Will Clark in fourth with a 245. So lots of very fast running. Tim Don, uh, not so fast, only a 314. Kind of understandable, but yeah. it's always going to be hard to to know um, where, it's at. where he's at. Uh, and so that has some implications for the KPR side of things um, because Tim Don, I don't think he needed hardly any points, but to finish ninth, he's not going to be, unless there's a big roll down, he's not going to be in that top 40 for the first uh, okay. batch. Even though he did well in the... World seventy. Yeah, so he's got. He's, uh, he, I'm not sure exactly what place he's in. We'll wait and see how that sort of pans okay. out. He's but got to get there, doesn't he? He's going to be just out, probably just outside the f- top forty, even with the roll down. But he might get there in the. Here's my prediction: if he doesn't get there, they give him a slot because he's the story they need on the TV series this year. Mm-hmm. I guarantee. But will he take it? I think so. Okay. Because it's a, it's a good story, and and would anyone be if would anyone be upset about that? I wouldn't have thought so. No. Yeah. Like, this is one of those ones where you go, you know what? Give the guy a bloody slot. Mm. And he'll be one of the TV coverages. And, and he should be. Like, his story in the last 12 months is absolutely phenomenal. Mm. And, you know, 
obviously, I'm sure deep down he wants to get there properly. But if they turn around and say to him, look, mate, you didn't quite get there, but we still want you there, here's a slot. Even but, if they said just have an age group slot. But then do you... No, you can't do that. No, no. you can't do that. <laughs> but then do you go, do we give Matt Russell a spot as well? And do we give Terenzo a slot as well? I think because has happened... It's, Matt Russell's happened in the race as well, didn't it? Uh, it was either in the race or before. Yeah, it was in the race. Tim Dons didn't happen. Uh, Tim, Matt Russell's was in the race. Uh, Tim Dons was pre-race. I think both of them. Mm-hmm. What about Terenzo? No, because he's outside of that race. I think Terenzo is a great story. Inconsistent rules. No, no, <laughs> because this was associated with the World Championship last year, mm. and Terenzo is a good story. But bike, you know, but they were there. They were meant to be racing in that race, and so I think, and also, yeah, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Where's the line? Mm. I think it's if you were in the race last year. Where's <laughs> <laughs> the line? Anyhow, <laughs> bloody good racing, good coverage by Ironman's nice work, and uh, well done to. What the about Joe Skipper right now? Because he's raced three times in the last. What when it's last six so he, weeks? So he won uh, Roach, and no, I didn't, didn't win Roach. He got uh, second or third. Third, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we were there. We were there. Who won it? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but then he won Ironman UK. We don't remember that. Yeah, and we then he's raced that. here as well. So three races in uh, in a month. So good training. Whether it uh, takes too much out of Vakona, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, I mean, Canada happen? No, we've got to put about the females. Oh, sorry, Chip. Oh. Sorry, sorry, ladies. Uh, so it was an interesting race because we had our rote winner Daniela Simler there and she was having a ding dong battle with uh, Sarah Crowley and the, again the tiny bit of footage that I watched um, uh, Daniela Simler was uh, in the lead on the bike and they, were going, they went around a turnaround and it was almost like she was soft pedaling for a period and trying to get Sarah Crowley to, to come through and take a turn at the front but Sarah Crowley was just sitting up behind her just not rolling oh, really? through to take a turn really? so uh, as it looks from the results she um, similar managed to get away uh, on the bike I'm just looking at the numbers here um, but then exploded on the run and I did see a, pic, a post of her uh, giving her I'm not sure if it's a son or daughter or child uh, a hug on the run okay. uh, uh, so I think she was not in her happy place on the run when you're doing a 4.18. So Sarah Crowley ended up uh, running a 3.05 to win relatively comfortably um, after a 4.34 on the bike. So the girls, females, were racing extremely quickly as well. Uh, so she had a five-minute victory over Katarina Goldman from Germany and third place, Maya Stage Nielsen. Good old uh, Joe Skipper got fourth. And wrote, Dr. Right. Joe Skipper. Yes, there's a few doctors, because when you enter Rote, you have to choose, it forces you to choose, and several people did that, and I think maybe uh, Laura the, Siddell maybe did it this year as well. Oh, did she? Or was she a professor? No, uh, but is she a professor? No. Oh, I thought she was. I was like, yeah. well, respect, Laura. I don't think she is. <laughs> uh, and good old Torsten's got lots of pictures on his... Um, Try rating website because I'm pretty sure Torsten's from Hamburg. So uh, made for him. Yeah, so good coverage there, Torsten. Okay, now, well, it's interesting. You always used to talk about you can't go hard in Germany, and it's kind of been disproven. But the people who are going hard now are they running the Kona? Well, you never know how hard they're going. Some of them, you know, in terms but of you're running uh, a sub two forty. Yeah, sub two forty. You're pushing it. You are. You're not. You're not cruising, are you? Yeah. Um, is, he, is he the dark horse? For Kona? Kona? No, no, he's a great runner. He can't. He's not fast enough swimmer. He's always going to. He's a. He's a. Yeah, he's one of those guys you'd go. You know, you wouldn't be surprised if he got on the podium, but no way he's going to win it. 
Okay, put my house on it. <laughs> oh, pick it up. No, no, sorry. I'll put your house oh, on thanks, it. Thanks. Because your it. house is worth more than mine. Oh, here we go. I'm in Canada. This, not so much for the pros, but for the age groupers, was a suffer fest. I've seen a number of posts on Facebook saying that was the hardest thing they've ever had to do. So really? Very hot conditions, very hard course this year in terms of the um, elevation change on the bike. That has a much lesser impact on the pros than it does uh, for the age groupers. Also, the, the pros get done earlier in the day uh, and for, for obviously a shorter duration. So... Um, Interesting racing, fairly comfortable win in the end for Brent McMahon, winning by nine minutes, but coming off the bike, uh, Brent McMahon and uh, Marino was uh, sort of sort of right up there, but then Marino van Holnacker did the old, he's all in, or explosion, and he had the explosion uh, happen this day with a 4.18 on the run, so he dropped down to being the second to last Good pro still to finish. finish. Mm. So Brent McMahon swam 51, rode 4.43 and then ran a 2.53 for an 8.31.33. Would note that it was a non-wetsuit swim for the pros, um, wetsuit swim for the age groupers. Uh, Jeff Simons was in second place and Matt Russell had a good strong race in third place. He should go to Kona. He should go to Kona. Um, Will Will he be in the points? Uh, I'm not quite sure. Sh- uh, here we go. Um, Torsten on try rating said, doesn't say anything about Matt Russell okay. in terms of where he's ranked, so I'll have to look that up. But he said Ma- Mark Bosted, who is a Kiwi fella, only finished seventh, so he won't be, uh, he's only in 51st place. Marino, not really sure if he needs to, is going or not. Callum Millwood DNF'd um, with a flat, and he's sitting at 42nd, so he'll probably get in on a, on a roll down, you would think. Um, Brent McMahon was already safe. What I would say with the Canada race, there was no females racing. It was a male pro-only race. Uh, we also had Andrew Talansky, the ex-pro cyclist. Uh, so I was really interested to see how he went. He swam a 57.49, so probably disadvantaged quite a bit by non-wetsuit swim. Mm. Rode a 4.40.25, and when you look at the other spike splits, yes, it's the fastest of the day, but only just. You know, Marino was uh, 4.41.48, and Brent McMahon was 4.43. And the other pros were sort of in the mid to high um, 440s. Uh, and then Andrew Tanetsky ran a 3.29. He finished sixth overall. So you've got to say, based off that, um, you know, he's not going to be uh, worrying anybody too much. You know, you, you, you. it's really interesting to watch the pro cyclists when they come across. Some of them really just smoke it. You know, you're thinking of Steve Larson, obviously Lance Armstrong. They really, their bike really is electric but other pros and Andrew Talansky was a bloody good pro cyclist only a little bit faster than uh, than uh, than, our, than our good triathletes it's interesting isn't it you, mm. you know because you think that if you're coming in with a weapon mm. you're going to use it mm. uh, so we have yeah, the tour Sorry? Were you happy with the tour? Uh, I think it was a very good result for cycling, yes, because uh, I think if Chris Froome had won, it would have been just so much negativity and have somebody who, who comes across as a really nice yeah. nice guy. Uh, was, it good, it was, was it a good tour? Uh, it was solid, and he was very, you know, he deserved to win. He was dominating, won a couple of stages and would have would have won the TT if he hadn't soft-pedaled the last um, couple of Ks when he knew he had it won. Yeah. So he was the, the rightful winner. He was... Yeah. Did the real deal. Yeah, he was. Uh, Does come across. I only, I only really just see it on the news coverage they do on one news each night. No, he definitely came across as a nice guy. You know, mm. like that kind of just a real person kind of came across quite well. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what he can do going forward because often when you see the the, the key king domestiques, 
ending up being team leaders of, say, different teams, uh, they often crumble under the pressure and it's totally different to being a team. What do you think happened with Team Sky now? Because Froome must be getting along in the tooth. No, Froome's still the dominator. He, you know, oh, okay. I just think he's he's either tired or you've got to think that it's just wears you down when people are booing at you the whole time. Oh, really? Is it literally that, is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're people booing hate on the sidelines. Yeah, really? Yeah, all the way through the tour for three weeks. Imagine uh, that. And just all the negativity, plus he'd done, you know, how many, how many three consecutive he was going for his fourth um, tour grand win. tour yeah. win in terms of doing France, the Vuelta, the Giro, and then France again. So I think it was a combination of all those things. But he's still, you know, when he still finishes third and he's on a off time, he's still by far the best. So, so, well, so you, you think the guy who won will actually not be in Team Sky next oh, no, year? It sounds like he probably will, but if uh, you know. Um, Often riders like himself leave, and then they find they can't stay at the same levels when the pressure's on. It's, it's, um, it's really interesting. I always find in life a really fascinating thing when people think their success is them, and it's actually often more the infrastructure around them. A good example of this is in New Zealand. We used to have a guy called Paul Holmes, which was a big broadcaster in New Zealand. He kind of did the the Current Affairs net, uh, show after the network news each night, and he was dominated broadcasting in New Zealand for probably twenty years, mm. and his ego got bigger than him. And he thought he was the man, and he left and he went to a lesser channel, Prime, and his show died straight away. And, and I always find it really fascinating where people think they're the star, mm. and they don't recognise the infrastructure around them that creates the star. Mm. And often it takes, it's, you see it so often when people like Paul Holmes walk away from the infrastructure, are really unsuccessful. Mm. And it, it must be a really hard moment ego-wise in that moment, because you think, you know, you, you're so into yourself, you don't actually see the infrastructure and then to be confronted with the fact that you weren't really the key, it was just the position you were in was the key. I find that really a fascinating thing to see in life. Yeah, no, it was totally different when you're writing for yourself as opposed to writing for other people. And mm. uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what he does. It's, it sounds like he's going to stay with Team Sky. A couple of other things we were talking about, um, yeah, Ironman oh. Canada, oh, was uh, the Red Rocket, James Thomas, said, uh, I just saw him post on Facebook, he said there's a 16% DNF rate in wow. Canada. And he said that that was the highest of any Ironman ever um, which is mind-blowing so the temperatures were, were crazy hot it was uh, you know 35 degrees and it's a tough tough course and yeah it was uh, well done to everybody who finished uh, got to give a shout out to JP Flore because he's a mate of the Red Rockets and, nice um, I had an athlete who didn't get his sports nutrition didn't turn up in time and Ooh. JP had offered up some of his so JP thanks for being uh, a good sport and the end didn't need it but the offer was there, so I appreciate that. It's a thought that counts, John. We had the Outlaw happen over the weekend as well, and we often talk about this being a really cool event, so the Outlaw was on. John, what happened there? It was a bit of a challenge to find these results, um, but the race was only finished, I don't know, maybe... Minutes ago. 10 hours ago or so. 10 seconds ago. So Joe Beach took out the race. He swam uh, 56, rode 452 and ran 255 solid uh, and did a 8 hours 54 in second place. There's teams all over the place here. Chris Cope, I think, by the look of it, in 9 hours and 10 minutes. And Marcus McDonald was in third in 9.17 on the females side of racing. We had Simone Mitchell, jeepers, smoking fast. She must have finished really high up overall. Uh, 9.15.44. Nice. Uh, second place, Hannah Peel, and in 10.18. 
That's a that's a proper dojo domination. That is a dojo. One hour and three minute victory. Yeah. What do you call it when it's an hour? I think we call it the Bruce Lee performance. Bruce Lee performance. Yeah. You know, because he's pretty much known as the greatest martial artist or admittedly kind of actor. But Bruce Lee performance is an hour domination. That is a Bruce Lee. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay Scott was third in ten forty six. So Simone Mitchell swam fifty six, rode five oh five, and ran three oh five. Let me just see where she did finish overall. Um, because there's lots of teams in here, but yeah, I think she would have been one, two, three, probably fourth individual overall. Wow. Nice work. That's a good effort. Well done. That's pretty impressive stuff. Um, then we looked at, uh, we've got coming up this weekend, we've got the Norseman, uh, Slovakian, 100 euro to do oh, the this is, this is gold. So if you go to k226.com, the Slovak man, 100 euros to enter. That's a good deal. Nice. Uh, Thor triathlon in Denmark. This is this is insane as well. Uh, it's in the, quite a remote part of Denmark, and I was looking at the at the race footage and a lot of the run. You run along this beach, and then you've got to clamber up these bloody walls, like pulling yourself up with rope and shit. Wow. It's uh, it looks full on, very awesome. Uh, you've got Ironman Tallinn, uh, which is the first time they've had this race in Estonia. Now she's got a big field for the men's. It has. Although Ronnie, Ronnie Shilnick raced at, last weekend. Yeah, at, at this stage of the season, it's really impossible to tell who's going to be there. Marco Albert's on the start line. He's from Estonia, so I'm pretty sure that's a given. Uh, outside of that, who knows who's going to uh, turn up because there's a lot of asterisks on the start list uh, for the males, at We've least. 40 uh, athletes basically down to compete, but again, yeah. who knows what will happen. And it is a, by the look of it, it is a male-only pro race. And we also have Ironman Maastricht. And here, female only race in the Netherlands. Female only race, uh, and again, hard to know who's going to turn up. Yvonne Van Vlerken had just been married, so she, I wonder if she's going to change her name or not. Lucy Gossage is down to race. Uh, Tina Dickers um, and a bunch of others, but again, lots of asterisks. So, good luck to everybody who's racing in Holland this weekend in Maastricht. So, another piece of news we had over the last period of time was a age group champion being banned, and it's interesting actually because the age group champion was the twenty-five, uh, eighteen to twenty-five. And they won Kona with a dojo domination last year. Was it Luis? What's his last name? Luis uh, Fernando Pescare Rabinay from Mexico. Okay, so basically they've been done for the uh, sample tested positive for the presence of exogenous testosterone and a metabolite, which was confirmed by the isotope radio mass spectrometry analysis. Uh, so basically been caught chatting they won Kona by over 32 minutes in the category of 18-24 last year so Lewis is obviously maybe obviously too much of a cheat mm-hmm. yeah so that was a, a crushing victory and, and often you see those younger age groups the 18-24 you know we interviewed um, a couple weeks ago wasn't it last week yep. uh, I'll pull up I've got Made an impression. <laughs> yeah, he did. It was a great interview. Show us the, the he, show, John. Cheapest creepers. But, but the, often you get those 18 to 24 athletes. They're the ones that maybe go on to do pro careers. Nick and, Baldwin. Yeah, I knew that. Nick, sorry. Yeah. Um, he screwed himself completely. A, he's a cheating cheat and he got busted. But B, you know, he's kind of screwed himself if he was looking to make that transition across to being a pro. So and what also led on to this was I see that I saw that there's a page on Ironman of the athletes that 
uh, have tested positive um, um, when they've done testing. Yeah, typically, in, tip, often in Kona. Um, I do like the one where Maurizio Carter uh, got a forty-month, forty-eight-month suspension because he refused to submit a sample at Kona in twenty seventeen. Oh wow! <laughs> so that's a and yeah, there's a bunch of bunch of reasons. EPO is Ostarine, um, you know, t- testosterone, uh, anabolic steroids. So just goes, it goes against everything what sport means to me in my life, cheating. Mm. This level of cheating, because to me, sport is always about finding a greater, higher level self. Mm. You only and, and one thing I one thing I got a young mate. I've got a mate who's got a young kid who's about seventeen. Good kid, real good kid. And nowadays with the young kids, the steroids for gym training is becoming quite popular. Mm. Like quite a few of the young boys who are getting into the gym will, will do some steroids. And admittedly, it's, it's kind of for aesthetics, so it's mainly mm-hmm. just to get a look. Um, but he's also a pretty good athlete, so there is maybe performance enhancing. And I was like, mate, don't ever open the door to the possibility of that, even if it's just to get a good look. Because once you open that door... It's a slippery slide. Oh, and, and then all your gains, is it because I've used drugs or is it because of me as a person? You know, like it's, it's such a slippery slope. And... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I mean I've done a good job of kind of bringing it out. like I think they could probably do a lot more, um, but it's hard for them because obviously the benefit to the cost is probably not that great. But it's good to see we're catching these people out there, you know. And they're doing testing in Kona, so if you rock up to Kona, uh, I know that they do testing, and it's proving that's it's often targeted testing, um, like Kevin Moats. Yep, and yep. and you know I know of another athlete that went to Kona, and he was expected to probably win his age group, and he got tested. Uh, so and did he was he busted? No, no, oh, okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so it's good to see it's happening at Kona. You've got to say if you get busted in Kona, you are a mug, whether you're a pro or an age grouper, because cheating. You know it's going to happen, but you know there's a chance you're going to get tested. Getting busted at a race, you're you're a mug. Uh, uh, you know, it's the out of competition testing they're going to get you, and that's probably I would imagine fairly rare for age groupers. For pros, quite common, but for age groupers, I'd, mad, I'd imagine out of competition testing is fairly rare. Just one question. Oh, we're just going back to Matt Russell. He's actually well out of the points right now. He's seventy seventh. Right now, that may have been before last weekend, but he only had two thousand points. Mm-hmm. So I'm not quite sure if they updated it. Instant after each weekend, based on Ironman's performance around PR, which you're going to go to in a second, John. I'm thinking oh, no, not. No, 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 they're, they're generally very good at updating okay. that. Okay, okay. Well, well, he's well, so he's well on off. his name, it'll tell you um, where his points have come from. Oh, no. So Canada, yep. No, they get yeah. it. Yep. Okay, so he's well off. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he gets offered, if he doesn't, mm-hmm. because... I don't think either of them will get offered, to be honest. I'm not saying they should. Well, they shouldn't, but I don't think they will. What about the... Come on, the TV show? I don't disagree with you, but I don't think no, they can offer it. No, but I disagree. I think they will. Okay. I think one of them will because the that's that's what the TV show is all about. Mm-hmm. You know, the TV show is the pros are an afterthought. It's the stories of an Iron Man. Well, how often have we had a pro story like those two? I bet you Matt Russell. I bet, If they do it, I wouldn't be surprised if they Tim Don, but Matt Russell, that was actually in the race. So it was actually an era. In oh, terms and that of, scar is yeah, sensational. But that... You know, you'd technically say that, sh- that car should not have been able to get on the course. So it's a bad look for Ironman. Oh, so okay. So you think... Who knows? Who they knows? They want to paint themselves in a bad light, do they, John? No. Although nobody does. So let's be honest about that. Uh, just, we got an email here from Lynette. And she's just saying, uh, did you see that Brett Sutton is getting Daniela to race? Uh, is it Danaea? God knows how you pronounce it. I think this. it's Danaea. I think it's a silent G. Right. Danaea. Uh, is it Poland? 
Uh, awesome move to race Miranda prior to Kona. He's really playing with the competition to get inside her head. It was just been announced today because Rennie has been saying that she's got stronger on the bike. So now he'll get Danella to try crush her spirits by thrashing her on the bike prior to Kona. And, you and know, you've got a however here. Yeah, however, uh, Miranda Carfrey did race at the weekend in Santa Rosa. So she's going to be doing, if she's going, she's going to be doing two races back to back in terms of halves. So not that uncommon for pros, but you wonder if she's going there either to, um, I don't know, how serious you're taking it when you're racing two, two weeks in a row. You've got to say, um, Daniela Reef over the half distance is, you know, Eight times out of ten is probably going to crush Marinda when it comes to yeah. Ironman. Slightly different story. You'd still expect that the current form, Daniela Reef is, is so far in front of everybody else. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if it is just mind games or just coincidental that they're both going there. Uh, you got here. Remember how there was going to be Challenge Oman a few years ago, and it was going to be a game changer. Also, with Callum after Challenge Bahrain, because well, Challenge Bahrain had the, the big, big money the first year they did it. That was a waste of money, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a game changer, and uh, and they were also going to have Challenge Oman, and there was going to be another Challenge race in the Middle East, and it was going to be you know, you know, some epic big money racing over there. The Oman one never happened, and and uh, I think it was because of um, the wars and all that stuff going on. Um, but now Iron Man are going to have. Iron Man 70.3 Oman and a 51.50. It sounded like it was going to be a beautiful place to go and race. Um, how safe it is, I don't know. But um, yeah, Oman 70.3 if you want to go check out that neck of the woods. Turns out, John, you dismissed Terenzo. It was a lot more serious than you thought, I think, because we've got to hear a bit of a state, upstate a statement from Terenzo. He's basically on the mend. He's only doing about 20 to 30 minutes spinning a day. It's got a week, and this is a post he put on Facebook, but we read it out. A week ago, I was put back under the sand surgery uh, for a broken and displaced trapeze bone in my hand, uh, which has been wired and have left a full brace on for another five weeks. This was following my face surgery. I saw a photo of him. Must have been at some something, and it was, and he had a suit on, so it was kind of. But he looked like a gangster because mm. his face had the big scar. It, you know, nice. he just looked like a kind of a bit of a mobster. It was quite an impressive photo. Um, the, this was following the face surgery on my broken cheekbone, where they put three small titanium plates in to ensure that I keep my chiselled appearance. <laughs> uh, on top of those bits and pieces, there was a cracked rib or two, and my left quad was quite badly beaten up. This all seems to be healing well, but probably the major factor that has delayed me. And getting in front of my computer and confronting the real world would be my concussion. Memory around the accident is non-existent and while things are a lot better now that we are three weeks post-accident there have been definitely been some blurry bits. So Kona is just over 11 weeks away and this is still top of mind and keeping me going through a monotonous eye exercises. We are hoping to be able to make a call on the next couple of weeks once I've received the go-ahead from the concussion specialist and start back into proper training. All going well, we will still head to Kona for a two to three week training camp at the start of September and probably make a final call around then if I manage to progress and move through the training block well enough to bring the form I have had through the year up into the big showdown. He's going to be there. You think? I reckon he'll be there. Whether or not he's I, in... I, I think it's a fine line. It's 50-50 in my mind. Whether or not he's in winning form, I don't know. They should do a story on him. <laughs> they, they should, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, but I reckon he'll be Such there. And pity. I think he'll be pretty strong. But then, I don't know whether, yeah. If, it's, it's, it's if, it, if it was having like two or three weeks off, I think he'd still be in winning contention. But it sounds like it's a bit more than that. So I think still got a chance. But I think he'll be on the start line. It's just, I, I hope he is. Hmm. It's just a bummer really, isn't it? 
I suppose the one the, the, the one thing that he's got to be potentially be really careful of is getting a punch in the face in the swim, and that oh, could true, be a yeah. real um, that could be one of the fitness aside. That could be one potentially. Um, well, that's surely by up. October the face would be pretty well healed, wouldn't it? You'd think so, but you know you get a good yeah. blow to the face, and if. Yeah. Uh, Getting this Usum, lucky you're not swimming, mate. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Bash and Usum, they used to call them. Right, I'm going to do my five minute. It's going to be no more than. Have, have you ever actually deliberately thrown a punch? No. Who? Ever closed the fist a little bit? No. Surely. Right, I'm myself, uh, getting my phone out, so I've got my five minutes. Okay, so uh, it's John's ITU update. And, he, uh-huh. and if you don't want to know about it, because the racing apparently is pretty awesome, really tell me when you're. I'm going to do it. Okay. Okay, ready? Go. Set. Oh. And five minutes from. I'm going to put a timer, so it's going to go bing, bing, bing. Three, two, I one, been, go. I would have been there a couple of minutes ago. Uh, anyway, so latest round of the ITU was <coughs> in Edmonton. So they had sprint distance racing for males and females, obviously, and then a team's race the next day. Uh, but I want to start with the team's race because, A, New Zealand smoked it Where and got come third from? place. Now, they, admittedly, the Poms, their fourth guy, was obviously a bit of a pleb. But this is why it's so... so many changes in the lead we were out of it at one stage and and this is where swimming can become so much more important so our second guy was uh is a weapon swimmer and he managed to bridge up from being completely out of it and got on the back of the got on back of the lead group the palms miles in front you think they're gonna just smoke this and then as you said a 30 second lead going into the last league their fourth guy was was not an axe uh, which was somewhat of a surprise uh so then they went from being first to being nowhere and uh yeah it was just lots of lead changes and the cool thing is you don't know what's going to happen and that's what's the great thing about this uh this style of racing is you're watching it because what's going to happen next uh sometimes it's fairly obvious but then all of a sudden things can change and it and, and it changes a lot from race to race depending on who's racing because it's not always the big kahunas sometimes you've got a development athlete in there well, that's why so, with the poms wasn't yeah, it yeah so it's um, really interesting racing in the end Team Australia won it um, reasonably convincingly only by two seconds but they had uh, Jake Burke whistle who had things under control on the final run in front of the United States and then New Zealand finished in third place outside of Andrea would that be the best New Zealand performance for a long time yeah, but Andrea was probably the weak link in the team. Really? Uh, on the, in so we've got race. some good up and comers coming. Yeah, so we've got some good, solid, young beast athletes that are not afraid to just go. And, they're not going to necessarily win ITU series races because they probably don't quite have that run. But they're they're quite beast sort of athletes. They'll just go it's out there, kiwi, and smash kiwi the blood. swim, smash the bike, smash the run. Uh, quite so they're strong, strong looking guys. Uh, so they're they're very good. They're not. Great level yet, and they're all quite young. So, and we've got. Were a, you shocked and dismayed? Because I can't imagine you would have expected much from them. Uh, Third, wouldn't have expected it, but a, a lot of the teams did have were slightly weaker. Okay, you know, and all it takes you've got one weak link and you're screwed. So the French, for example, they had I think probably three good athletes, and all you have one and you're screwed. Well, that's where you feel sorry for the Pommy guy because you thirty second lead. Mm. You know, and you end up getting nowhere. You feel a bit sorry for that guy, don't you? You do, just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But the Poms in general are crushing it. Yeah. So great racing. And uh, in terms of the individual race, uh, 
slightly less interesting, but Vicky Holland was uh, really crushed it on the bike uh, in front of Ashley Gentle. I thought she would win coming off the bike. Came ended up coming down to a running race when there was a small breakaway on the bike and they got uh, reeled in. So it ended up being a running race. Tough little course, lots of uh, ups and downs. You know, multi-lap course, and it was the same for the age groupers. Uh, and then on the males side of things, we did have a really solid running race there with Jeez. Christian. Blumenfeld up against Mario Mola and normally you just put all your money on Mario Mola saying he's going to win pretty convincingly but Blumenfeld just kept coming back at him and just really? didn't let him go and he only ended up winning by a couple of seconds but he did not have it easy uh, and Jake Burtwistle had this amazing run where he was out of it, he was down in 7th or 8th place with about 500 metres to go and ran himself up into third place. Wow. Just must have been amazing to see his split for the last little section, but he really ran through quite nicely. How long have I got to go? You've got a minute, but I've got a question for you. And this is might take more than a minute, but it's an interesting one. If you could go, each country can choose their best athletes of all time to pick mixed teams. So the Poms could go Lessing, right. Brownlee, two girls. Which country would be the best team? Uh... I'd say it would be the best well, of all time, either, boys and girls. It's either Australia, States, or England, or you know, Great Britain. Okay, so who would you pick for each team? Oh, God, that's a bit of a bloody... Come I'm on, Tom, they love this. Out. Well, you'd go for, the, for Great Britain, you'd go the Brownleys. You'd pick them ahead of Lessing and, and what have, probably. You'd potentially maybe go Simon Lessing in front of Jonathan Brownlee. Uh, and then you'd just put in their two axe women, which should probably be... Just their current generation, I'd imagine. Okay. The, Amer- the Americans, uh, you would go Gwen Jorgensen, and then you'd probably go one of their, one of our, you know, someone like Barb Linquist, who was, was a top swimmer. Um, for the blokes, God, I have to think about that, but you'd probably go <laughs> Mark Allen and, uh, <laughs> and somebody else. The Aust- Can't say somebody else, John. You have to say a name. Well, there's not a great. So they're not going to be there then, are they? Great oh. Ryan Bolton because he's he's going to be on our on our show today. Okay. And then the the Australians, you would probably go Loretta Harrop, um, and then you would go. Was it Snowsall? Sorry, Snowsall. Mm, possibly either Snowsall or whether you'd go for somebody. Probably go Michaeli Jones, maybe something okay. like that. Yeah. And for the blokes in Australia, I'd probably go for Bevan. I know Greg Bennett and probably Brad Bevan. Yeah. So based on that, the Poms would win. Uh, pretty close. I'd I'd potentially go for the Americans, depending on who their fourth male, their second male was. Well, that's very dependent. That's key mm. to this race, John. You can't it just. Is. So I would go. No, I'll go the Australians. Oh. There you go. Go Australia. Go. I call Australia home. Okay, John, we did your five minutes, and I wrapped it up with that little bit there and there. Okay, John, what the hell is going on? I've had enough, Bevan. You've had I've enough. had enough. This is so. This press releases from Iron Man are just shizer, and I've just had enough. They're just rubbish, and anybody out there with their, uh, half a brain could do just a better job than someone's this. job you're shitting on right i know now. well they're doing a shit job so i'm gonna shit on their job <laughs> so this is the pre- this is how the press release went from uh for ironman canada the beautiful whistler valley in whistler british columbia canada provided the backdrop for athletes around the world during the 2018 subaru ironman canada uh canada Canadian Brett McMahon finished with top honours in a winning time of 8.31, while fellow Canadian Jeff Simons took second at 8.40, and Matt Russell rounded out the podium with an 8.45. 
And then after that, you basically got a little bit about Whistler and a little bit about Wanda Sports. There was no quote. There was, uh, maybe you could have even mentioned how the race unfolded, the fact that Marino was in the race. Uh, it's do, you know, do you know what's really interesting? It's actually, it's not, this isn't just, I'm in problem. I think it's a problem with the sport because you, you do the show notes and each week I, when you send through what races, I always try to, try to go to some sites and find some insight on the races. But triathlete.com had nothing about the races this week. Mm. And we were, what, two or three days after some of those races. Mm. The, the Tri-247 was the one where I found most of the races. Oh, like, he does a great job. Yeah, and, and like, for some reason, the reporting of the pro racing, not just by like, the PR from Ironman is appalling because it's their brand, and to tell a better story, how much harder is it to add three paragraphs of story of the race? You can employ one person just to do the main races and you just need to get a quote or you just need to you just need to talk to somebody for two minutes how, how, how did the how did the race unfold you could give somebody a 30 second Type rundown up, it out. and you include that it's just it, it i actually think it's really disrespectful to the pros and it really pisses me off well it's also you know the job of your sport is to grow your sport and now that now obviously i mean does a pretty good job of growing your sport but you know like you know we, we did our bob Bebbit legends last week Mm. And Bob Babbitt is a legend at growing a sport. And he understands that the key to it is telling great stories. And that's what makes a race interesting. Sure, the results, who won and all the rest of it. When there's story to this race, that's what keeps it fascinating. And for people like us who help feed the story to a world of people, mm. help us do our job better by doing your job right. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like uh, we're not asking for a lot. We're asking you've got the media people there already. Surely somebody can do better than that. Anyway, that's my rant for this week. Uh, do you want to do course accuracy? Course accuracy, okay. So just quickly from the weekend. So Hamburg, the um, bike. Let me just pull that up. Hold on a second because a couple of people did comment. Uh, where are we here? Lucy Francis it was uh, Hamburg. She said 5.9K on that opening run, 178 kilometres on the bike, uh, 100 metres of total climbing. Um, she said there was a bit of headwind and then got 41.7 kilometres on the run. Um, by all accounts... Um, Canada was very, very accurate. David Doughty said I uh, got the bike at 111.81 and the run 26.14. Uh, Dixon, Mark Dixon got um, 111 miles on the bike in Hamburg and 26 miles on the run, so fairly accurate. Um, yes, yeah, so overall it looked like Hamburg a little bit short on the bike and a little bit short on the, the second run, probably just within the range on that second run, but they have already run six kilometres opening, so it's kind of... It's never going to count yeah. as, a, as a prop one anyway. Also put out there um, about the Outlaw, quite a few people posted on here, so thanks for that. A few, um, James Corlett got pretty much spot on, 3.78 kilometres in the swim. Garmin on the bike was 181 and 42.1k on the run, and that's fairly consistent. Murray Taylor got a little bit shorter on the bike. Uh, a couple of people got 181 point whatever on the bike. Um, Johnny Fallis said th swim 3.82, bike 181.5, run 42.2. So nice work, the outlaw, on getting those distances right. So, uh, sponsor, and we've got an, interview, an email through from Abby Bonner, and she's got here, hi, John and Bevan, I discovered your show about six months ago, and I am hooked, I love the show, and look forward to your new podcast every week, keep up the good work, thank you Abby, uh, based on your recommendation, I've been taking extreme endurance for a couple months now, and put it to the real test recently, as I completed the long course weekend in Wales, which was an iron distance triathlon that takes place over three days, uh, 
That's interesting. You don't really think about the long course championships like that, do you? Oh, it's not a long course. It's not a championship. It's more of a training weekend. Oh, okay. Is that what you do? Okay. Uh, I took the higher doses in the lead up to this event as advised by Extreme Endurance and I'm amazed by the difference it made for me. I recovered well each day with massively reduced leg stiffness and I experienced almost no leg stiffness in the days after my marathon. It's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, this was my second marathon uh, I have done, and after I raced my first one, I couldn't walk for over a week. I'm amazed by the results. I'm also stretched and foam rolled post-exercise to prevent leg stiffness, but I'm convinced that extreme endurance significantly helped me compete and recover from this event. It's exactly good timing to be using it when you're, when you're going into those either build-up races or big weekends and you do want to recover quicker. So you'll get the performance gain, um, but you'll also get the speed in recovery. So check it out, xendurance.com. Remember the promo code IMTALK20 to get yourself a 20% discount. And make sure you are like Abby and smoke your training and smoke your racing. And just smoke it. Smoke to the east this week's discussion john so last week i kind of had this question of um who is the person the who is the person who is showing the biggest commitment to your development as a triathlete and what have they done to help you and we've got some really cool answers here so let's go through them i kind of we got the answers i kind of expected most people are either going to say their coach or their partner yeah and some people might say some training mates family members or something Sorry? Family members. Sometimes family members. Yeah. Uh, so I'll kick it off with uh, Tim Owen. That's easy. My wife, Shelley Owen, she supports me in multiple ways from never-ending words of encouragement and belief to being my sponsor of most of my equipment. She's even started running so we can spend some time, um, some quality treadmill time together. Uh, can you ask more support than that? Tony Hodges got my husband St. Pete, who gives the most me the most precious commodity of all time. He cooks for me, he keeps the house clean, that's a good effort, does the laundry and shopping, lets me enter crazy Ironman and Ultraman events, puts up with my tired, hungry moods, and lets me spend way too much of our household budget on things, all things triathlon. And then he spends hours on the sidelines being my biggest cheerleader through pouring rain or sweltering heat. He'll never find you'll never find him having a nap or hiding in a bar while i'm out there he's a true saint and she actually lisa graham kind of said that's great uh, lucy francis said i nominated my husband too you know so husbands are good michael turner said jennifer jennifer ann turner continued injuries have had me considering pulling the pin on triathlon numerous times over the last few years not to mention lots of whinging and feeling sorry for myself she keeps reminding me what it means to me and how much i love it knows i'm a better person when i'm training consistently and always encouraging me to look for treatments to get me back an amazing wife and he also managed to drag her along on epic camp uh, in france a couple of years ago oh very good tom ward's got my wife lauren she gave up her dream of buying her own home to allow me to leave my corporate job and pursue my vision of setting up a triathlon coaching community that's pretty cool isn't it Uh, we are now both likely enough to spend our lives helping others many of whom like myself are abuse or trauma victims build self-esteem through accomplishments in triathlon lauren gave up everything she ever wanted to allow me to do this she is my hero as this has changed many people's lives including my own at a deeply emotional level it is incredible what can be achieved through the sport that's a pretty great answer Solid. Mike Simpson, um, no, Mick Simpson, my little boy, gave me the inspiration to go from 17 stone to 12 and from the sofa to Ironman. 
Phil Elmer's got the doctor who failed me on my pre-employment medi- medical in 2012 for having a resting pulse rate of 90 odd. Ooh, that, that's not good. <laughs> Mine's currently 42 because I'm, I'm still near the. Remember the? Yeah. Yep. yep doing that. Uh, and blood pressure reading that broke the machine. She said I could go on the meds for the rest of my life, or not so many words, be less of a fat bastard. Cheers, doc. Uh, I had two other ones I was going to do. I'll do uh, why don't you, Bevan? Do you want to do? I'll do Volker Voigt. My parents, especially my dad, who at 65 decided to do his first triathlon to feel what it's like as they travelled to many races to cheer me and keeps keeps motivating me to push harder to make them proud and happy. Graham um, McCullum's got my wife Amanda. She looks after the kids in the house and supports me in my endeavours. She doesn't get too frustrated with my occasional naps and she even hasn't complained about the money. Yet. I'll do the last one. Uh, Darren Eaton, my training buddies, even when they aren't racing, they come and do sessions with me, even through the winter. They keep my spirits up and eyes on the prize, and they keep fun in the mix. Wouldn't be anywhere near as enjoyable without the crazy dudes. Okay, John, I'm not going to read them all, but I am going to say the names, because I think this is a pretty special one. Michael Turner, as, as mentioned, uh, Jennifer. No, Ann. I've done that. Okay, uh, Christine McKinley's got no one. Uh, John Newsom. Yep, thumbs up, Christine. Thumbs up. Nice work. Uh, Dane Stanley's got uh, the... The Admiral Nick Rose, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Adrian Foyfoy Moy has got, uh, how do I say that last name? Jeff uh, Fija? Fifa? Fifa, yeah. Fifa. Um, we had Jeff on the show. Have you? Yep. He's got, also got Justin Deere in the endurance corner team. Uh, Mick Simpson's got my little boy, gave it the Done answer. that. Okay, great. Uh, Kay Bayless, have you done her? No. I know she's just saying we've got one to win. Cross Josh, Joshua Crabble, have you got his? Right. You can do Coach his. John. Yep, nice work, Very Joshua. Good. Thumbs up for you. I'm uh, gonna, hey, Joshua, I'm just going to give you a little. Uh, you Are you going to do thumbs up there? Right? Got a little like there. <laughs> Good. Kylie Cox has got uh, her tri club members to her husband, uh, Pete McLeod, and of John Newsom. Oh, oh, Kylie, you get a like as well. You, get, you only get a like if you yeah. mention John. <laughs> this is my Facebook content. <laughs> uh, Darren Eaton's got my training buddies. That's one we didn't get a lot of, even when they aren't Done racing. Oh, did you do that one? Did you? Yeah. Uh, Michael Good's got Stuart Hayes. Always encourages, looks after them. Uh, t- uh, training in Bahrain. Uh, Luke, uh, Jay Luke's got my overdraft and Phil Peterson's got us boys oh, you'll get a like as well Phil oh, you, get like, oh, you like. only get half a like because you mentioned Bevan as oh, well I like this as well but okay sweet yeah, it's, it's it's a a so half from me half yeah, Bevan yeah, so it makes a hole yep. you and me like that John <laughs> half of us make a great hole um, back it up um, okay so that's oh, this Bevan, week's discussion yeah, but next week's influence on your triathlon career biggest influence my parents on your triathlon career yeah but well, they were so supportive mm-hmm. Like, like they were I've always my parents. I've got great parents. I'm very lucky to have great parents. And they were my mum was always the manager of the soccer teams and the league teams. She won the best manager in my rugby league. Triathlon though. Yeah, as well. I'm getting there. Yep. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I'm telling a story here, John. Okay, sorry. Let me let me continue. Yeah. So back in 1977, it's when people interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> so she, but my parents have always supported my growth. Um, and in triathlon, like I remember when I did Ironman New Zealand, my parents would come out and they'd fly up to Taupo. And they're there all day, and they'd be they go in the middle of nowhere, and I dress up, and you people I'd be riding up in the middle of nowhere. People go, who are these crazy people up here? And it'd be my parents and my family. But even like when I broke up with Raylene, I went home, it was when I was doing Kona, mm-hmm. and I went home for like four months because I knew I was doing Kona. I thought you know it's probably yep. used to go home and, and try to sort my life out. And every night my dad would cook me a dinner. Just they just did everything, and even just babysit my daughter. They just always did, and there was never. Uh, no, it was never a burden. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, you know, like I remember just, you know, Mum, I need to do a bike ride. Can you look after Tyler? Yep. You know, or can you do this? Yep. You know, that's right. They were just, 
it's like one of the best things you can have in life is unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that, what I've got for you, Bevan. Was that? That's what I've got for you. Thanks, mate. That's why you half and half make a hole. <laughs> um, but it really is. It's that kind of, and like I've known people who don't feel they have unconditional love, and it, it must be a bit of a bummer, really. But but my parents have always given me this foundation of no matter what, they will love me, and it's a really cool thing. And and they've always supported my growth and you know and, and I, you know I was a kid who was a bit of a dropkick and so they're a really big part of my triathlon career and there's lots of other people as well like you're a big part of my career as a triathlete lots of people who are kind of trying to help me push forward but my parents are definitely my biggest ones mm. for you um well I kind of have a bit of a chain reaction that happened for me in terms of to where I am now because when I gave up swimming and I was probably 13 something like that um the person who owned the pool in Christchurch um is called was called Clive Power owned Aquagym which is where I swam as a kid oh, did he own it, then? Uh, it was, was Clive Power and it was also Brett Naylor yeah. and Clive said when I gave up he said I'll go join him with the surf trimasters squad and then introduced me to John Hallamans and then so it kind of went from Clive to John Hallamans and then because I was with John Hallamans then I got sort of introduced to somebody in Hong Kong and that enabled me to go to Hong Kong and do training over there and then that sort of opened things up also for going to France and then also for um, meeting up with Gordo and he sort of helped in terms of setting up my business so it was kind of this chain reaction but it all went back to sort of one person so whilst he did it wasn't um, he opened a door. He opened opened a door, which helped open lots of other doors. Oh, and off. imagine that moment! Like I love those sliding door moments because mm. imagine if that didn't happen. Mm. What's your life now? Oh, totally. So yeah, totally different. You know, like I remember when I joined in my life, like Les Mills is a big part of my life, and I wasn't going to join Les Mills. I was going to join World's Gym because I only wanted to get big for weights. Mm. And at the time, my partner Stephanie, who's Tyler's mum. She had a membership to Les Mills that she wasn't using. It was just cheaper to grab hers. And so like, oh, I'll join Les Mills. Mm. That one moment mm. changes everything. I love those moments. Yeah, and that's why, it's, for me, it, I, and I often harp on about that, I think it's really important for the triathlon communities to support clubs and organisations that do junior development because you kind of never know where things might lead and if there hadn't been that set up with Hallamans and juniors and what have you mm. as you said I wouldn't probably wouldn't have even done triathlon yeah. and so often don't think about what's necessarily in it for you but what's in it for the sport and so if I hadn't um, gone down that path we wouldn't have had a podcast we wouldn't yeah. have had in Christchurch you and I wouldn't have met and no. the half and half wouldn't be a whole I know oh. and uh, you know um, so there's a Support your local organisations that are doing things instead of bitching and moaning about things you think they should be doing. Here we go. Bevan, we're going to have to trim a few things out of the show. We've been going for bloody ages already. It's only now. Okay. <laughs> Definitely get this age group of the week done, dusted. Okay, let's have a look some music, Bevan. Okay, here's some music. Hold on, hold on. Before oh. we do that, though, what are we doing this week? I forgot. Oh, okay. So, um, remember last week in the show, we were talking about what's the biggest adversity in a race and, and we can look at this in two ways you can look at your biggest adversity so what's the biggest adversity you've had to face in a race and we're kind of looking for kind of more extreme levels here or the biggest adversity someone you know had to overcome to complete a race mm-hmm. so it's to probably finish the race is what we're looking for there so the biggest adversity you had to overcome in a race to get to the finish line hit me with some music Bevan. hit me with your rhythm stick here we go Cooper of the week. week. Okay, good old Melissa Uri sent through this one. She said, I would like to nominate my friend and osteopath, Shane Lewis, for age group of the week. 
Shane recently qualified for Kona Ken's Ironman after many years of trying. Shane first made a bet with a friend when he was at university in the mid-90s that he would get to Kona one day. Wow. It's, I wonder if you ring that person straight away. You get across the finish line, you get your phone and say, show me the money, honey. Uh, this was His first Ironman was in 2004, and he's kept his dream alive since. Due to a mixture of suffering various injuries and in his build-ups, and his self-described over-enthusiasm on the bike or nutritional issues, he was never able to pull together a good race, and therefore not able to live up to his abilities on race day. That must be frustrating, eh? Very frustrating. Good learning experience, but very frustrating. Yeah, but if you're going very since rewarding. 2004, mm. you know, like, you know, like you're going to have those experiences where you have, you, you, you hope to have the gold day and it's not mm-hmm. going to happen often, but you have that. Then you kind of go, you know what, it's a good performance and then there's kind of anything below that. If you're kind of never having that, mm-hmm. good on him for sticking at the sport. Um, that was until a couple of weeks ago. Shane, by his own admission, was patient through the whole race. He focused on the last 10Ks of the marathon and getting to the, that point as strongly as he possibly could, which resulted in an overall PB and ninth in his age group. Finally securing him a spot in Kona. He even did the walk run on the run league. You like that one, John? Nice. Uh, I would love to give Shane a shout out as an age group of the week, as he is also a fan of the podcast, and I'm hoping he'll appreciate his nomination. Which he swam 59.16. He rode a 5.21.54. Ran 3.43.17. It's a solid performance, isn't it? For a no, a 10 hours and in nine minutes 20 seconds so he was good solid swim he was fourth in his division out of the swim 13th with the bike and then ninth after the run so he's in the 45 to 49 age groups and nice work Shane Lewis we'll see I love him Big story. Island in, in October I love it because I don't know how many he's done but if he's been around since 2004 he's probably someone who's close to maybe thinking legacy mm. like again mm. I don't know yeah um and and I love the legacy and nothing gets those who will never get there through qualification but it is cool when you finally pull off the day you know you can mm. do and then you get the ultimate reward as well. Absolutely. Yeah, so well done, Shane. So Shane mm. Lewis, you are our age, age group, group of the, of the week. week. Okay, John, we've got an interview coming up. We have. So Ryan Bolton, he raced. Uh, I'll, I'll do the intro- introduction when, I, when we talk to Ryan. So here comes Ryan now. Okay. Record. Okay, guys, as uh, promised earlier in the show, we've got Ryan Bolton on today. He raced in the 2000 Olympics representing America. He also won Ironman Lake Placid and sort of through that period of the, the 90s and early uh, 2000s was really you know, a fantastic pro athlete. He's now uh, coaching and he's uh, coaching triathletes as well as winners of Boston Marathon and, uh, and bunches of other running races. So uh, Ryan, welcome along to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks. It's good to be on the show with you guys. Now, I've got, before we sort of start into the um, into what you're up to at the moment and what have you, uh, do, do you recall the 1993 Manchester World Championships? I do, clearly, in fact, yes. <laughs> that was a, it was a crazy race, but no, I do very much so, yeah. Tell me what you recall from it, because that was one result that I saw on your triathlon.org um, profile. What do, you, what do you recall from that race? Well, uh, I mean, it, that was my second year of racing triathlon, and so I was a junior, of course, and kind of went into the court, into the race blind. I didn't know much about the sport, um, but I was really psyched because I got a free bike from USA Triathlon, which seemed like, you know, I was, I was a poor Wyoming kid at the time, so a free bike seemed like the coolest thing in the world. And, uh, you know, it was like 55-degree swim. Remember that? I came out of the water like right right near the front, you know, maybe, you know, top five, six, got on the bike and it was a non-drafting race, but I just, 
it was chaos to me, like what was going on around us. And all I know is that there was some kid way off the front, some Uber biker. And then, um, and I kind of got caught up in, you know, packs and everything didn't have the best bike, but not a bad bike. But, um, I just remember running like a maniac kind of through the field. I think I had the fastest run score of the day over the pros too. And I think Spencer Smith won that year and Simon was second, but, but, uh, I just remember uh, I, I mean, a handful of memories, but coming down the finishing shoot and uh, and the the guy who won, who apparently passed away, uh, Craig Alexander. Actually, I was talking to him a couple of years ago, and he told really? me that the guy who won, yeah, like at the age of twenty one, like young Swiss kid, yeah, um, you know, like I said, Uber biker, yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah do you know that guy? I was I was hanging out with Crow, and he's like, do you know that guy passed away like at the age of twenty one? And I was like, no, that's crazy. But anyway, um he's like grabbing a flag in front of me and I'm like running <laughs> my ass off to try to run him down. And he kind of had to sprint through the finish line. He still beat me by a good, good amount though. But yeah, some good names. I mean, some kind of iconic names in the sport at the time. And I guess that's one of the, my other memories was that night we were, you know, they did the awards at like some discoteca. And I remember Maka being there and Maka was fourth in that race. Yeah. And uh, he was railing on me, telling me that no one passes him on the run. And I was like, well, <laughs> I just passed you on the run now. <laughs> this is, uh, the, the reason I bring this up is, it's a, yeah, as you said, um, this guy, Olivier Halfschmid from Switzerland. Uh, that's won. right. Yeah, yeah that's you, right. you were second. And, but the names behind you, there was Alexander Manzan, who went on to yeah. be a fantastic athlete for Brazil. Chris McCormick was fourth. Norman Stadler was fifth. Now, they have got Mark Allen listed here as sixth place. That must be an error. But also got Olivier, <laughs> Olivier Marceau in ninth and Andrew Johns in tenth. So it's pretty yeah, crazy yeah. to think that pretty much all of those guys in the top ten went on, including yourself, to have some pretty amazing careers. So that was just by yeah. the by. I saw that when I was looking up your... Um, <laughs> <laughs> what you've been up to so what was, you, you retired um in the sort of mid 2000s so what have you sort of been doing since uh since the retirement days well when i when i retired i went straight back to graduate school just because that's kind of what i left when i started racing triathlon and and uh basically in a similar field that my undergraduate degree was in so kind of physiology metabolism nutrition that type of stuff and um i also my coach in triathlon was Joe Friel. Um, you probably know Joe. Maybe mm-hmm, you guys have yeah. talked to him before. But, um, and uh, he kind of convinced me to get on board with him and, and do some coaching and everything. So I started uh, you know, picking up a couple athletes here and there during that period as well. And um, so, you, you know, fast forward to where you are now. You know, you've got, um, you're coaching triathletes, you're coaching runners, but, you know, you've, you've probably had a bit more fame of, of late through, you know, coaching Boston Marathon winners, etc. What sort of drew you towards, um, you know, runners as opposed to just sort of doing triathlon? And, and how did you go about upskilling yourself to be not just coaching runners, but coaching world-class runners? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of just serendipitous is how it all happened. But, uh, you know, I was a runner in college and that was kind of, that was my first sport, my first love. And, uh, I felt like it's kind of what I was most in touch with. And, um, when I, when I finished graduate school, I had an opportunity to work with some elite East Africans through an agent, uh, you know, sports agent that I knew. And, um, I picked a couple of them up. He said, Hey, can you help out a little bit and coach these people some of the time? And I said, you can't, if they're pros and this is what they do do for a job you can't you know you can't coach someone part-time it's either 
there, you know, and all I was, I was working with age group, um, triathletes as well, but you know, the runners are, you know, I guess I just, I understood that level of running too. And I was still kind of always involved in that world. And a lot of my friends growing up were runners, you know, and run coaches and we're kind of still in that run system and, you know, we're agents and with whatever in the professional running world and everything. So it was almost a easier and more natural transition for me, um, you know, to go into that than it was actually triathlon. Just, just as an aside, you know, you're talking about agents a lot there for, for runners. It's not something yeah. we hear triathletes talking about a lot. I know a lot of triathletes do have agents, but is that kind of how the running world is, is run, more the, athlete, the agents are, are managing where the athletes are going, or is it quite different to the triathlon world? It is, it is. It's, it's, uh, I would say it's a lot more established. You know, I mean, it's a significantly older sport and just professionally. Plus, in, in, I would say a big difference with running is you have races competing for athletes. In triathlon, you know, you don't get that so much. You know, we mm-hmm. kind of have you know, one system. And so, you know, for example, let's use like major marathons is in the fall, there's three major marathons. You got Berlin, you got Chicago, you got New York. And those three, um, they're all vying for the same top athletes. They're all bidding. You could even look at it that way Mm. for the same top athletes. So, and especially, I mean, really any athlete doesn't want to deal with that process. Like the you know, the negotiating with the race organizers. I mean, I guess some people do, but, um, you know, agents come in to roll big time there, you know, that whole negotiation process and helping it out. I'm kind of, as a coach, like I kind of like, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the middle there. Cause I, I talk to the athlete, we assess where their fitness is, what they can actually get into. Cause that's the other thing is you can't just, you know, sign up for the New York marathon and the elite race. You actually have to be invited but so, you know, if they're at that level, whatever, you know, I go to the agent and I'll say, hey, this next year, this is the races we want to go after. You know, you do your best job to get them into those races and, um, you know, for the best situations and everything. I, it, for me, it's a, it's a nice situation because I, I get, I'm kind of one step or a long arm away from having to negotiate and do all of that crap because that's not my cup of tea at all yeah. i don't like that stuff yeah so it's 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 significantly more a part of uh of of the racing and running i mean not this isn't a bad thing about triathlon but it's just it's significantly more professional i would say there's more money involved and um you know like i said it's more established and all of that so agents are probably you know it's a little more important just, just on that, what kind of appearance money would a top marathoner get to do like in New York? Right. Well, you know, it, a lot. <laughs> it, and it depends on who it is. But, you know, uh, and it, it's it, it depends on who it is because it's, it's a lot. You know, these days, and, you know, we talk about this. You guys know this really well. You know, your social media presence, you know, how yeah. big of a – you know, following you have and everything. But I would say seriously, and let's say New York, for an example, a returning champion who is also very, uh, you know, well-liked, well-known and everything, maybe 250 to mm. thousand, I would say, ju- just to tow the starting line. So, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty good money. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if you're a returning champion and uh, you win that race with bonuses and all that stuff, you're 
you're making a pretty penny for sure. Just on your running coach development, who were the influences that actually influenced you as a running coach kind of as you progress in your career? Right. Uh, you know, philosophically old school Lydiard. Oh, really? <laughs> old Kiwi. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Yeah. Yeah. I like uh, a lot of Lydiard's philosophies are, are uh, you know, I, I, I do follow, I really subscribe to, um, I, I had, I was able to watch him. This is probably 15 years ago. I went to a thing um, where he was speaking and uh, just kind of fascinating, you know, old guy and uh, like just incredibly knowledgeable and, you know, kind of funny stories. But he was also, he also had you know, a little bit of an edge to him and, you know, he, he believed in hard work and everything and, and that's kind of a foundation he, and he was very principled as well. But yeah, Lydiard's definitely. And then on top of that, I would say just influence that I've had in the past, you know, even Joe Friel, Joe Friel's more known as a cycling coach, but he definitely had some influence on, you know, my running as well. And, um, and then, you know, my college coaches, even my high school coach. So just kind of influences. And honestly, working with the East Africans, I've learned a bit from them as athletes that has ultimately influenced my coaching style. And, um, and it's, it's been beneficial for sure. Cause they, they have a whole different perspective on on training and, uh, you know, racing and all of that. It's a lot more Hakuna Matata, you know, everything's going to be okay type thing. And they, they're also incredibly, incredibly, I think in the Western world, we get so caught up and especially happens in triathlon for sure, you know, numbers analysis and all that. And that's, that's all really great stuff and it's all really powerful tools. But, um, you know, I think some of the things that make the East Africans so good that I've learned is they're so in touch and so intuitive with, their bodies and what they need. And, uh, you know, and I guess I could say this, if, uh, if an American age group triathlete were to come to me and say, I don't want to do this workout today. I, I have to say why, you know, and say, and you know, are you fried? Are you not fried? You know, are you just being lazy? You know, or do you want to go on a date with this girl instead of working out, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. Whereas if the East Africans come up to me and said, I can't do the workout today, I'm tired. I fully and completely trust them because that normally means that they are. So, yeah, mm. they're very in touch with their bodies and where they are. So contrast, um, you know, we, we know that pro professional athletes, whether they're triathletes or marathon runners or whatever, they train and all train incredibly hard. And you, you often hear people saying, oh, that person trains the hardest out of anybody I've ever known. But but maybe contrast the, the life of a, a professional marathon runner compared to, say, you know, like a Ben Hoffman who you've got some, some stuff <laughs> to deal with, what their sort of levels of fatigue are like and, and how their sort of week looks comparatively, not in a running sense, but more just a, a general amount of time training and what they do in their right. downtime, et cetera. Well, it's funny you ask that because this last week um, I spent a week with Ben Hoffman and uh, along with Ben was another, uh, one of my Kenyan um, athletes and they always kind of, you know, like jab each other because the, we get done with a run, you know, and then Ben has to go for a long bike ride and then go for a swim and the runner is basically done. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you know, you've got an easy life. But we also discussed, and this is really interesting when you using training peaks as an example, you know, when you talk about like chronic training loads and, um, you know, acute training loads, chronic training loads and training stress balance and all of that, a triathletes is much, much higher. And, um, just because, 
the load can be so much more and needs to be so much more with, with the cycling and the cycling in particular, you know, adds so much on. Whereas like the debate is, you know, who's fitter, like according to training peaks, the higher your chronic training load is your CTL, the more fit you are. However, a runner who's a world-class marathoner, their CTL is going to be significantly lower than Ben Hoffman's CTL. And, but you could definitely sit down and argue, well, who's the fitter athlete? Like who's actually fitter in that moment, you know, which it's kind of, you can really kind of go down and rabbit hole with that. But, you know, triathlon training loads are, I would just say significantly higher, heavier, just due to, you know, the fact that there's three sports. And I also say like throwing numbers aside is, you know, runner, world-class runner, or even an age group runner, normally when you start getting fatigue or into too heavy, you know, of training or whatever, like they'll break down physically, you know, knee will start hurting, foot will start hurting, you know, they'll get some imbalance or something. Whereas with triathletes, it's really easy to break down like physiologically because, you know, it's that long, slow downward spiral of overtraining and Mm. you don't, it doesn't necessarily bear its head by, you know, manifesting in some type of, uh, a physical injury, but just physiologically people can get cooked because it's kind of, you know, you can really cook yourself by riding 400 miles a week on the bike, um, without showing any physical pain, you know? So, so, so as anyway. a coach, how do you approach like a bin in comparison to the marathon runner? What kind of programming, what kind of philosophy sits behind what you, how you deal with the different type of athlete? Right. Well, I guess Ben's an unusual person because I don't know how much you know about how he trains and and uh, what he does, but he 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 loves to log big, crazy volume and and uh, and workouts, and he really really thrives on that. So, I mean, first you need to kind of break it down individually, you know, with the athlete, of course, like which what does each athlete do? But you know, I would say you know Ben's yeah, his run volume is I would say. You know, sixty to sixty percent of what an elite marathoner, you know, run volume is. So let's say you know sixty to seventy miles a week versus you know one hundred and ten to one hundred and twenty miles a week. And sorry, you guys, I'm I'm speaking in American right. talk with yeah. miles yeah. as opposed to kilometers. But times one point six. Exactly, that's right. But uh, but uh, you know, but you know, like I said, obviously, you know, putting in significant more volume. And I guess the interesting thing is looking at it that way is. A good age group triathlete, of course, is logging more time um, and probably more elevated heart rate time than an elite marathoner as well. And because of getting accomplished what ultimately they need to accomplish, and particularly an Ironman athlete, you know, speaking of that distance. So, hmm. yeah. Um, so, if we have age group athletes out there and they're picking up, say, a classic Lydiard marathon training book and and sort of thumbing through it, trying to figure out what sort of workouts they do, do you, is there a lot of transferability across from say classic Lydiard marathon style training for for an age group triathlete, or is is that going to smoke them? And, and what should they take from it? And perhaps what should they skip? In your opinion, right? Yeah. Well, I think Lydiard, you know, one of his big philosophies is building a foundation, a base, you know, kind of building an engine, basically. And, uh, you know, the way that I look at it is 
as endurance athletes, we're building these diesel engines and, you know, over time and, and, uh, you know, if you take a young kid, it's pretty easy to build that up conservatively. You know, if you take a new age group athlete who's 50 years old, they're brand new to triathlon, you know, I would say (laughs) you can't, maybe you don't have the time and or the need to go through like as big of a cycle as Lydiard, you know, Mm. would suggest ultimately. Um, I mean, you know, it also depends on the type of athlete, of course, but a famous like Lydiard quote, and I remember when he, when I, I saw him talk was, he was talking about how, you know, when he would have a young runner come to him and they'd say, you know, Hey coach, I'm ready to train with you. And he'd be like, you know, how many kilometers you're running a week? And they'd be like, you know, well, 150. And he'd be like, okay, run 170 a week, uh, for the next year and then come back and you'll be ready to start speed. <laughs> you know, So he's basically just saying, you know, log on the volume. And I think, you know, with triathlon, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to do that from a time standpoint. So that's a major constraint in itself. And I also think that, you know, just putting in that big volume, um, you know, on the front end, um, you know, yeah, it might be, you know, might not be possible just because of the timeline of an athlete's career. But, um, so, I mean, that's one step, one step that of Lydia that I think is important and a lot of bang for the buck, as I would call it, would be doing strength cycles, you know, hill cycles, um, you know, working on speed strength type work because in triathlon, especially again, we're talking long course stuff. It's such a strength oriented race. Sure. There's speed involved, um, you know, building thresholds, pushing the threshold up, but, um, you know, doing anaerobic like short, you know, track work or, or stuff on the bike depends upon, you know, maybe you're developing power on the bike or something, but you know, it's just not, necessary but um you know it's triathlon it's all finding that efficiency i mean to me like it's all finding that efficiency on you know how to get the most out of the least amount of time especially when you're dealing with age groupers because it's just such a time intensive sport as you guys both know Mm-hmm. So give us some examples of, of strength workouts because that's what ultimately people love to hear, different workouts. So like a typical type strength or a couple of typical strength um, exercises that athletes might do. Right. Well, when I'm talking strength workouts, well, do you mean running, run, cycling, run, running, uh, strength? More, more running right. strength. Like would it, it be going, it, yeah. doing three-minute hill reps, 10-minute hill reps, 15-minute hill reps, and they need to be hard or controlled? What, what's, what's some yeah. typical ones? And I appreciate it will be I, different as you go through different training cycles. but just Absolutely. Couple. And I'll throw, you, I'll throw you three different good run examples. And one's, you know, doing like a, a relatively aerobic run, like say a one to two zone run, maybe into three zone, and then at the end or near the end, doing strength 200 meter repeats on a hill. So, you know, we're talking 30 seconds. So you're, you're not, it's not just a power ATP phase. You're kind of, you know, going above and beyond that. But I like to do that early on because it injects some good neuromuscular and also like that power emphasizing power on that. Another strength workout and more of a, you know, thresholdy building aerobic um, capacity type stuff. You say, uh, you used an example of three minutes, I think that's actually, mm. I'll say 800 meter repeats, you know, which is, can be three minutes depends on mm. what type of an athlete, you know, they are and everything. So, um, you know, and a good handful of, I mean, Ironman athlete, you, know, you can do, you can do eight, eight repeats and everything. And I'll with, with what, well, and I guess I should say this as well, talking about recoveries, 
is on the 200 meter repeats, the work, the first workout that I was talking about full recovery so that each time you go back to do the next 200 repeat, it's powerful. You know, you're fully recovered. You get a lot out of it. We're not working anaerobic here. We're working strength, but 800 meters, same thing is like full recovery. So, you know, a nice 400 to 600 meter jog, maybe back down type thing. So you get your heart rate back, you know, say sub 120, just mm. as a place to shoot for, to redo. And then a third run workout that I really like in this power workout is doing like a dozen, like 80 meter repeats. So once again, longer aerobic run work. And then at the end, steep 80 meter complete power work, which is really good. And then after that power work doing like a 3k or 4k tempo run at race pace or just faster. So if that makes sense, so you're doing this mm. really, really strong power stuff. And then right immediately after the last one, you get to, you know, a flat section. I always tell people to try to do it on a hill where there's a flat and then going instantly into, you know, let's say your Ironman, you know, goal pace is 630. Uh, mm. well, let's say four minutes per kilometer. That's pretty yeah. fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then I would say, you know, shoot for, you know, three K at three fifty per K, you know, pace or something like that off of those power hill repeats. So it's just good strength work. Yeah. Uh, do, do, do you incorporate things like um, plyometrics and those types of movements into a session like that? Um, I don't personally, however, I do. And th this is kind of an interest or a, a different when I'm working with East, East Africans, they don't do strength training. They think it's really kind of strange. But when they come here with me, <laughs> I have them pop into the gym because I do. I think it's incredibly valuable. And in the gym, we'll do we'll go through different strength cycles. So you know, from an adaptation phase to like what I call a pure strength phase, which is pretty low reps. Um, we, could, we could we could probably do an, an entire podcast about that. Mm. But uh, the other. But I will have them do plyos as well at certain times of the year. Plyos, you know, can take uh, quite a bit out of you. But I'd never incorporate them into workouts. I haven't thought about that before. So, yeah. And so what, what have you got on the radar for this year in terms of uh, either your athletes or, or the coaching side of things? Anything exciting happening or specifically anything happening for, for age groupers as well? Yeah, I mean, just a little bit of everything. It, it just you know, kind of some interesting things is 70.3 worlds last year was it being in the United States was such a busy race for us. And, um, this year, and you guys have probably seen the trend too. Like we barely have anyone going to South yeah. Africa, which is kind of, I mean, it's kind of a bummer and it's really sad. And I also think, and I'm saying this is a whole other podcast, but even the pro races, if you look at, you know, who committed to doing, um, you know, the, the race, it's kind of a bummer, I feel like, because you're missing a handful of guys that could win the race, you know, but they're just deciding not to go because they're focusing on Kona and it doesn't make so much sense to do that race this year. But um, I'll be in Kona again. Hopefully you guys will be yeah, there. Yeah, I love absolutely. It. And that's such a fun race and it's such a fun place to be during race week. And, you know, I have a handful of athletes there, which is, which is, I mean, it's just, it's the epicenter of, of triathlon. It's always great to be there. Um, and, uh, um, but, did you ever go to Kona? Because I know you won Lake Placid, and I'm, I, I seem to recall the year you did it. You set a course record, and and that stood for quite some time from memory. But did you was was long course, um, you know, a real passion for you, or was going fast more of a passion? And did you go to Kona? I did go to Kona, and uh, I went twice. So I went no one and O three. Two thousand two is actually when I won Placid, and I uh, I got real. I got. Uh, 
a bacterial and a really bad infection about two weeks before the race. And I didn't even go, I didn't even get on the airplane because I knew I couldn't race. And I knew it would break my heart to be there, <laughs> not to be able to race. So yeah, but you know, and it's a really great question. I actually, I, I like long course racing better than ITU racing. It's just, it's a very, ITU is very cutthroat. It's more like bike racing, super aggressive, um, not very friendly, I guess is a nice way to put it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, whereas Ironman, there was a lot more camaraderie, um, you know, more of my friends, I guess, were Ironman guys during that generation training was funner i like the iron man training and everything it just uh to me i just got to a point where and i mean yeah i you know i was a decent athlete i was never you know a great great athlete and everything and i just got to the point where i was like you know what i think it's time for for me to move on i i people always ask you have a regret i do wish that i would have went to hawaii more or race there more because it is such a race where it takes time it takes experience it takes knowledge you know, to get that race right and everything. And it just kicked my ass the two times I. <laughs> <laughs> Not <a good> feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, so. and in terms of your, just your best triathlon memories, you know, you, you, as you said, you didn't have a, well, you didn't have a, a really, really super long career in terms of, um, I don't know, something like a Craig Alexander, but in terms of right. your, your best, uh, triathlon memories. Yeah. You know, I, oof, there's so many, but, um, and, a lot of people say, Hey, I'll bet the Olympics was a great memory. And it, it, it honestly wasn't because it's, you're racing the same 50 guys that you're racing on the world cup circuit all year round. Yeah. And it just felt like another race, everything around the Olympics, of course, was, was fun. And Sydney was such a neat place to be, but, uh, you know, I, St. Croix, St. Croix was my first, uh, half, um, yeah. in 2001 when I moved up and I won that race and I just, it was really, uh, I just had such a great race there and such a great time there. And it's a neat place. And it's kind of been neat to watch that race grow into what, you know, it ultimately grew into, because you got to remember, like I'm pretty old school. Like back when I did it was the first year that they made it a half Ironman. And that was the terminology. Then yeah. there was no such thing as 70.3 or a 70.3 circuit or a 70.3 world championships or anything like that. But um, yeah, good memories there. I mean, so many memories just from, you know, just the circuit, just, you know, but honestly, and you, I think you guys would probably both agree. Some of the best memories of my triathlon career were training days, you know, just mm -hmm. going out with buddies and smashing each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we just see that you've got a, you, you've got your knowledge in your human nutrition as well, just without opening a massive can of worms. What kind <laughs> of philosophy do you sit within with nutrition? And I know this is a, a very debatable topic, but just kind of, where do you sit with it? <laughs> I would say I would call myself a traditionalist. Ultimately, I try to get people to like. Are you talking about within? Are you talking about off, off, outside of training, or with actually like within racing? Probably outside of training, just general nutrition. Oh, okay. You know, like so many people these days are paleo, low carb, high fat. Right. Disorders, Fasting, disorders, you know. Yeah, yeah. Where, where do you sort of right. sit on it? Given you've got the education to probably back up your your argument. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, and I do read about it, you know, a fair amount and everything. And I, I, I even along those lines, I would say that in, in a sense, heck, I don't know if I'm traditional anymore or not. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm avant-garde by being, you know, I, I would say I'm pretty normal and conventional. I'm of course, uh, I'm certainly not like, uh, you know, I don't preach like a ketonic diet type thing mm -hmm. or, but I would say that I maybe lean a little more paleo and I'm not like, 
in, in a sense, just because I think a lot of athletes probably eat too many sugars mm-hmm. and too much carbs, you know? So like I always tell athletes, I always talk to them, like, you know, always try to center your meal around like a protein, you know? And the reason why I say that it's kind of like, um, you know, a dentist telling you that you should floss before, you know, if you have a choice of flossing or brushing, you should floss instead. And which is BS. They really want you to brush, but what they're, they're trying to emphasize is that flossing is important. So I always tell people <laughs> that they should center their meal around, uh, around a protein because like most people, especially kind of a typical Western diet, you know, we have a tendency to go crazy with carbohydrates and everything. So then people, you know, actually think, okay, well, am I eating protein here? Because with training, we're breaking down, um, you know, everything so, so much, but I also, and I'm still a believer. I mean, if you look at science, um, in, you know, prior to a race in, uh, to like carbo loading, I don't have people carbo starve before a race, but I will the 48 hours actually have them, you know, you know, up their carb intake. And once again, I think that like in the eighties and, you know, maybe early nineties, we got kind of caught up in this and, you know, you guys were probably part of this. I was part of this where I thought that meant that the night before the race, I could eat like 18 plates of spaghetti and you would wake up, you know, (laughs) you'd wake up on race morning being like, God, I feel not so great this way. I'm not quite sure why, but, and so when I say carbo loading, it's obviously sensible, you know, eating of carbohydrates and continuing to take in some proteins too. But, um, yeah, in a sense, I'm a traditionalist. And like you said, it's a can of worms. And I mean, I could like, you know, start getting into controversial topics and people will hate me, yeah. but, um, you know, about, you know, all the diets and all the diet fads. And <laughs> yeah. Stuff. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, uh, if people want to follow you, you know, what's the best way to follow you and, uh, and your athletes and your, all your, your, your things that you've got going on. So what's the best way for people to follow you? Right. Really? You know, I'm, I'm horrible on my own personal social media, um, so I always direct people to our, the Bolton endurance stuff, which we're, you know, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Bolton endurance. And, uh, you know, you know, we pretty much posting on that almost on a daily basis and everything. Um, I always have athletes tagging me, but like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a slow adopter, I guess you could say. <laughs> Can't be bothered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you sound very right. similar to me. <laughs> awesome, mate. We'll, um, we'll look forward to We'll try to catch you in Kona where we're going to be over there not racing, so we'll be on the sidelines as well. So we'll, uh, we'll see you over Absolutely. there. And No, it's always awesome to get that insight in terms of uh, what the running world is doing and what we can learn from them. So I appreciate your time today and uh, kick back with your athletes this year. You bet. Yeah, definitely connect with me and Conan. It'd be good to catch up with you guys. Maybe we can go beat each other up on the bike or something like that. So, yeah. Sounds good. I, ju- I know you know those roads well, John. I do indeed. <laughs> awesome. We'll hit stop there. Thanks for your time. Awesome, mate. Bye Thanks. Thanks, guys. Cool, Thanks, mate. So we've, John's done that interview later in today, so we don't know much about it, so I'm not sure it's a great interview. Jombo, uh, questions? No. In a, oh, no, Winger of the Week. Winger of the Week. Winger of the week. Daniel, our Daniel Costello did 27 hours and 30 minutes training uh, and then longest activity was Morgan Bjorkvist with a 7 hours and 4 minutes 45 so nice work you guys good work well done you are our wingers of the week John quick question and answer it's not really we've got a big question here from Adam which we're going to go on to next week but just Keith Riger the guy who did the Kona 5 Ultra Triathlon feature film it's now up on YouTube and if you want to check it out I'll put it in this week's show notes you can go there uh, it's on YouTube look up Kona 5 Ultra Triathlon by Keith Riger R-I-E-G-E-R 
Um, and again, I'll put that in the show notes, www.iamtalk.me. Jombo, your patrons. Andrew, the Night Moves Seeger. That's a great one. Rob, the Working Greater. On the night Moves. Rob, the Greater Cummins. And then Stuart, Quantum Leap Mills. So if you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.iamtalk.me. You're, you're smiling, John. What were you going to no, say? No, I, was, I was about to interrupt and start saying what you're about to say. Uh, yeah, supporting uh, the boys. Yep, and support the boys. Uh, 628 shows you guys have got out there. We've actually got way more than that. We've probably yeah. done over 700 shows. In terms of all the Epic Camp ones and Kona and ones Kona's, and stuff. And then you've got Legends. Mm. Oh, we're probably close to 700. There you go. Mate. Just a mate. little investment by you guys. A coffee a month helps the boys out. It helps feed our families, I tell you. I don't really have much of a family now. There's a cat and a wife, but still, yeah. they need to be fed. Wait till that cat starts getting sick and you've got to go to the vet. You'll be going, come on, patrons, come on, have, pick it up. Do you have animals? We don't have animals. Will you ever have an animal? No. <laughs> Belinda's even vetoed the goldfish for Thomas. Oh, really? Has <laughs> <laughs> she got a heart? No heart. No heart. You're as cold as ice. Why is she vetoing the, the goldfish? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm not quite sure why they have goldfish. I was quite keen for him to have a goldfish. Mainly the, the animal side of things is... Um, I've got allergies to cats. Tom's got allergies for cats and for most bloody dogs and anything like that. Uh, and I'm, I'm just, neither of us are just animal lovers. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Did I tell you my cat dilemma? No. Well, it's sponsors. Extreme enjoyment. You like the buffer? And our patrons. And you guys are legends. If you want to email us, just go to IamTalkPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to get the show emailed to you, go to IamTalk.me and it's a link that you can put your information in. And each week when I release the show, I send an email out to that group. Um, John, my cat dilemma. So we've moved into this house mm-hmm. and we stayed in the same bed, same sides of the bed. But it's kind of a bit odd because it's a different side. Right. feels kind of different, but we're on the same side. It just You're entering little... the room from a different corner. Yeah, kind of. That's, right. that's what it's about. Uh, but Tapster, our lovely cat, decided to start sleeping on my side of the bed. Now, Joe, the cat sleeps on top of Joe. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, sleeps, God knows how she does it. Yeah. So, for the first two nights in the new house, Tabster decided, go sleep on this side of the bed. So, she yeah. starts sleeping on me and... That's upsetting you and it's probably also upsetting Joe. Well, and she slept between my legs, John. So, yeah. the joke is I had a pussy somewhere, but let's not even go there. <laughs> uh, and so, I, I kind of just, I, I tried to be polite to the cat and after two nights, I was like, that ain't happening. That ain't happening. <laughs> so, we thought, well, what we'll do is we'll change sides of the bed. Oh, Do you have you ever slept on Belinda's side of the bed? No. No, that's confusing. <laughs> that's com- and the funny thing was, Joe said that my side of the bed has a dent, which is obviously with a little bit wagging <laughs> Obviously. And so third night, changed sides of the bed. Even changed the drawers. Mm-hmm. So the bedside cabinets has my, my junk. What do you got in your bedside cabinet? Uh, that's my undies. I've got my undies drawer oh, yeah, yeah, there. Oh, you there. Undies and uh, memorabilia in the bottom one. I've oh, still really? got my, not a lot of memorabilia. I've got my Kona finishes t-shirt from first time I did it. So what was that, 2005? 2005. Yep. Yeah, that's oh, funny you say that, John. I'm cleaning out the garage this weekend. Because mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not very good with memorabilia and nostalgia. No, that's about the only one I've kept. Yeah, and but I had a box of nostalgia which I hadn't opened mm-hmm. from before the last move. Mm-hmm. And my Kona... Oh, nice. But I didn't have the Kona jersey because back in when they had it, it was a horrible T-shirt and a medium was literally a tent. Yeah. yeah. But the Ironman New Zealand crew gave New Zealand qualifiers a really nice Nike one. Mm -hmm. I still had that. And so it was cool. And had all my medals. It was kind of cool. Anyway, day three in the house. Mm -hmm. Go to the other side of the bed. Felt kind of odd, Mm -hmm. but I had my drawers, so I felt safe. Yeah. And uh, what happens that night, John? Tabs to decide she wants to sleep on my side of the bed. Oh, I know, so slight dilemma. So again, I had a pussy between my legs mm. and I didn't know what to do. Switched back again last night. Tabs to sleep with Joe again. 
Whew. I know. It was a slight dilemma. Taking a S- slight dilemma. A yep. So, what's your goss? What's my goss, Bevan? Uh, getting in the groove of the running. Did a little 5K TT last night. Okay, wait a second. Let me guess. I reckon you did 17. Am I right? Yes. Okay, 17, 22. Very close. I think it was... I think it was 1724, maybe 1725, but it does have an asterisk next to it. Bing. Got to about 4.1, 4.2Ks. I wasn't going to make the end uh, in terms of the bottom was... Uh, Wait a second, you did a section last week on how to be mentally tough. No, no, it wasn't mentally tough. And Well, it's probably a, a tiny ounce of that, but I was worried that... Um, oh, injury-wise? No, that my bottom was not going oh, to Oh, like Kaiser? Uh, yes, it was, it was a Sally moment. It was a Sally uh, <laughs> That's the news. So <laughs> we didn't really talk about much, much when we were wrote, but because uh, Sally, Sally basically shared herself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we tried to be discreet about it because who wants to be talking? And she was she's quite a cool chick, isn't she? Yeah. She was quite upfront about it. But I think we've got a new term: the Sally, the Sally, Sally moment, the Sally so moment. I was going, I don't. I, I sort of started coming on at three k's, and I was like, got to four, and I really wanted to keep going. And I thought, I don't think I can make. Wait, it. so does the seventeen twenty four include the poo? No, no. That oh. was I stopped my watch, ran in the bushes very quickly, and then came out and uh, and carried on. So I think I probably would have gained a little bit of time there by having that little rest. Yeah. And I was a bit worried later on that evening. So I ran and then had my Monday night coaching session. Yeah. We went down to the same area and the guys Some, have been out to run. Your so in the dark. <laughs> and a couple of the guys came back and I said, Where, where's a couple of the girls? And they said, oh, they just had to have, you know, relieve themselves on the way back. And I was like, I hope they didn't go to those bushes down there. So uh, that was my excitement yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it was your excitement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's so, a bit boring. Uh, didn't feel very good. So it was okay given I felt crap to do that time was okay. But I want to run 35 for 10k in a couple of weeks, so that's going to be a bit of a, um, a stretch. Uh, what race is that? Canterbury Road Champs, oh. and had the first round of the JD Duathlon. At the How'd it go? Who won? Great, um, Zach Taylor. Although I did have to, you know, I'm sitting there doing the results as soon as I get home on Sunday, and there's somebody's name is at the top of the leaderboard, and I'm going, and it doesn't look right oh. to me. Rang the person up and said. Um, I'm just the, the guy that won. The, the, I think the guy that won this race. You were ten minutes in front of him. He's one of the best juniors in the country. Um, did you do the right number of laps? Yep, yep, yep. Did the right number of laps. Um, yeah, I did um, the right number of laps on the run. I did two. Did laps. You say how many laps? And then he said I did two laps on each of the bikes because it was a run, bike, run, bike, run. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was supposed to be three laps on the bike. Uh, <laughs> so did they think they'd won? No. No, oh, okay. Because the thing is, you have juniors racing, we have oh, kids so racing. So you, when you finish, you're not quite sure where you are. Uh, and yeah, so that was good. Great weather. And other than that, Bevan. What's up this week? What's up this week? Stand week this week. Stand? Got my, got my no, standard week. Got the, oh, the, the nieces and nephews coming down from Tauranga. How are they? And um, sort of eight to 12. Oh, so good for the kids. Good, good times. That's about all happening this week, Bevan. Mission Impossible is out this week. Is it? Do you like Mission Impossible? I, the first one or two were good. I went to the... Yeah, they've um, come back, John. They've come back. They're good. I went to the grand world premiere in Hong Kong for <laughs> one of the... I think it was maybe the second Mission Impossible. Yeah. And they had it in this massive... You went big, to it? Yeah, the, the, the grand opening. Did yeah. you get to go to the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd yeah. you get a ticket to that? Mate, I, <laughs> you and Tom? 
You're and, a dog. But the problem was they did it in this massive big, um, I don't know if it was a convention centre or whatever, so it wasn't a movie theatre, and the acoustics were horrific. Uh. Honestly, it just about blew you to the back of your seat, but it wasn't that nice blow you to the back of the seat. Yeah. It, was, it was horrific. So, so like almost, almost the extent you wanted to leave. Was it a pretty cool thing to be at? Hmm. Did you get to shake Tom Cruise's hand? No. Did you see him? Uh, pretty sure he was. I'm, I'm sure he was. You there. think he'd be at the wood premiere? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. the director was a Hong Kong guy. Yeah, um, Frank Lee or something like that is it? Or no, Frank Lee. No. Um, oh, so, oh, okay. Let's find out. Anyhow, uh, Ben, what's happening in your world? Well, uh, well, I have a dilemma because Joe really wants to go to Mission Impossible because mm-hmm. uh, I love Mission. I do. The last one was really good, and this one's getting really good reviews. Um, and this weekend, I'm going to Dunedin. And I'm thinking, good time to go. Because when you go away for work, you know what it's like? Yeah. You always think, you know, mission. you go to the movies, go see Mission Impossible. Yeah. But I probably won't because I love my wife. So, that, wait, I'm just going to find out. So basically, I think it's John Wong. Yeah, no, I think you're right. <laughs> so is it John Wong? Like mission Impossible 2, basically, I'll go 2. Here we go, Mission Impossible 2. Here we go, 2000. It was done by director John Woo. John Woo. Ah, he yeah. wooed you that night, John. 2000, yeah, that'd be right. Yep, yep, yep. So there you go. That's that's pretty much the cost of my life. Cool. Other than that, John, house. Yep, just house. That's house. Sorting the house out. Yeah. I reckon it's gonna be a month before we just feel totally at home. Yeah. But that's all right. We're getting there. Got the ironing ironing board over there. You ready to do your ironing after this? My wife. My wife irons my singlets, John. Andy's. She probably does. Yeah. I don't know why. I I tell her you don't need to iron anything. Her her ex businessman. She did her shirts. I think she resented it too. So it wasn't like, you know, I don't think she loved doing her shirts. I think she was always a bit of resentment here. But she irons everything. Singlets. I try, I, when she irons them, I scrunch them up and put them in my singlet drawer. Oh, dear. I, know, but she, I think it's relaxing. I do not own a singlet. Oh, no, I own a couple of running singlets. You don't have a singlet? No. Do you want one? I've got them. No. Why not? I haven't John, got you've seen those guns. I've seen those guns. They're pitiful. Why don't you like a singlet? I just don't wear them. You're strange. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're half and half, though. So my strange. make a hole. My strange. You're strange. I'm weird. We're great. Right, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia car. car.